Hello, friends. John here. You know me as the charismatic half of the Listen Closely with John and Chris duo. You're about to hear our long-awaited and incredibly exciting Season 2 finale. But before you do, I was wondering if I might ask something of you. No, I'm not here to ask for money. But by all means, if you want to send some, please do. You know, we don't have to make a big thing of it. We can keep it hush-hush, have you wire it to an account in the Cayman Islands, that sort of thing. Maybe you want to give less to Chris? That's fine with me. I won't say anything to him. But when you get a moment, would you mind rating us and perhaps even writing a brief review of the podcast on whatever app you might listen on? Ratings and reviews help keep us on the podcast app charts, and that will allow us to get more sponsors, which in the long run gives us the ability to make Listen Closely with John and Chris an even better and more satisfying listening experience than it already is. Thank you so much, and we'll see you in late February with Season 3. Until then, enjoy the Season 2 finale. Ciao. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, or whatever you might identify as, because we're okay with that here. Welcome to the Season 2 finale of Listen Closely with John and Chris. I am so damn excited to be here. I am John. And I am joined, as always, by Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello, John. How are things on the West Coast? They're lovely. We actually had sun here today, believe it or not. Wow, first time in probably four months or something, right? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. How, uh, how are things back East? Great. I, uh, I had a good day. I, I just cleaned up from a late dinner a little while ago, so I was very excited about that. Uh, I, I don't suppose you had your dinner yet tonight. Uh, I didn't. I'm sure the listeners are uh, eagerly awaiting my dinner status, and uh, I can confirm that no, I have not eaten my dinner yet. Well, you know I like to cook, uh, so I whipped up some dinner tonight. Are, are you cooking something tonight, or are you going to have some leftovers? Got some leftovers. Got a little chicken. That's great. Yeah. You, you yeah. know who else had some great leftovers, Chris? Oh, there we go. Yeah. How was uh, that for a segue? The fucking Rolling Stones had great leftovers in 1981. <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, do you want to intro this week's album for the season two finale? Yeah, we are, as you said, going back to the year 1981, which is now 40 years ago. God. Right. Um, and uh, this came out in August, late August of 81. The band is the Rolling Stones, and the album is Tattoo You. And it is such a damn impressive album, and it is such an auspicious occasion that it's both the 40th anniversary of this album's release, and it's also our season two finale, that we decided to bring in some reinforcements for this episode, didn't we, Chris? Making his third appearance on Listen Closely with John and Chris, from Virginia, he's joining us. Please welcome back to the show, Jim Moskater. Hello, Jim. Hey, it's a pleasure again. As I was saying uh, in the in the in the green room earlier, uh, that it's you know third time is the charm, but every time has been a charm here on Listen Closely every time. with well, John and Chris. Are, so, uh, we are, pleasure. We are pleasure. ecstatic to have you here, Jim. We are charmed to have you here. Yes, and uh, thank you, thank you. We are over the moon excited to introduce someone who is making his first appearance on Listen Closely with John and Chris, and certainly not his last. 
<laughs> Joining us from Queens, New York, please welcome our old friend, Mike Slatke. Hello, Mike. Hello there. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here, Mike. Are you excited sure. to talk about uh, Tattoo You? Oh, absolutely. It's a hell of an album. Yes. Yes, it is. So, fellas, let's let's get down to business because we have a lot of ground to cover. Hmm. Uh, interesting background with the album. The Rolling Stones, at the time of this album's release, uh, as Chris mentioned, in August of 1981, were coming off of a strange 10 years or so filled with hits and misses. Yes, there was the incredibly successful Some Girls album from 1978, but there were also misfires like uh, 1976's Black and Blue, which, though now is, is somewhat highly regarded, was considered a bit of a disappointment upon its release. And let's not forget the predecessor to Tattoo You, which was Emotional Rescue in 1980, also a bit of a disappointment. And up until that point in time, Emotional Rescue was the only album uh, the Stones did not tour in support of. And that's why this album, which is made up largely of outtakes from this aforementioned strange era of the Rolling Stones, surprised everyone and proved that two decades into their existence, Nick and Keith and the gang still had it. And it's also important to note that what also made this album's success surprising was that it was such an unlikely success in 1981. When you consider what the other big albums of the year were, when you consider what the trend in music was that year, you know, this is early 1980s, and you have that uh, very commercial, very American arena rock. The big albums that year were Escape from Journey, Paradise Theater from Styx, Private Eyes, Hall & Oates, Don't Say No, Billy Squire. I uh, see where I'm going with this. <laughs> the, then you also had New Wave being a big thing uh, around this time. So nobody, nobody expected the Stones to come back and conquer with this album in 1981. But conquer they did. And it's a hell of an album. That's all I want to say. Mike Slacky, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you to get your uh, your opening thoughts on the album. Um, I mean, I remember it as a kid I think it was uh you know i knew who the rolling stones were but uh with uh tv which you know maybe that was a year or two later but they they played the videos quite a bit from you know from this album so it, even though i was aware of the video it's kind of like the album that i really took notice of them i guess yeah it's like the first rolling first significant rolling stones album of our childhood i mean we're all right around the same right, age all right so absolutely and i think mtv launched i think it was 1981 so right around the same okay, time okay the album dropped jim your thoughts it came out the month of uh, mtv so like three weeks three weeks after uh mtv came there was tattoo you i i also relate to it via mtv and uh i do remember the start me up video and thinking as a, I guess then six-year-old uh, or seven-year-old, that that Keith Richards was elderly, and I was just thinking like <laughs> that's like forty fucking years ago uh, for that. And so I mean that's that's the first image. But then uh, you know I, I love that that era of the Stones, the emotional rescue 
I remember I bought 45 of that. Of emotional rescue? Of, 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 yeah, I remember the, the other side was down in the hole, but we'll, we can discuss that on another podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I, I mean, I, I will say, I, you know, I know the hits, and, and I, I just find that the more I've delved into this album, uh, the more solid I found it is. And it's also their last great album, I guess. I think mm-hmm. you could argue, uh, without a doubt, yeah. uh, in terms of like consistency. Uh, and I'll just say for the record, and I can get into it later, side two is just, I think, pretty pretty much holds up with their great works in terms of sides. You know, side two is incredible. Album. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. It, I just think that it's, uh, I was looking at that. I was just looking at the albums, the black and blue, the, the, the only rock and roll, et cetera. And uh, just it, the, those five songs, they hadn't delivered like that, I think, since the early 70s. But maybe that's controversial. Yeah, nonsense. Yeah. Well, you know, on your undercover of the night podcast, maybe we can, you know, talk about that. But yeah, well, that just be about one song. Yeah, one song, basically. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, but yeah. So that's it. Tracks and undercover. I think it's solid, and and uh, especially side two, without a doubt. Chris, what do you say? Yeah, it's. I agree with with most of what you guys have said. I mean, I think the second half of this album, in particular, is just outstanding. This is one that I wasn't quite as familiar with and I, I don't really remember a lot of it aside from start me up from you know from when I was a kid but when I dove back into it recently yeah this is just a it has such a full sound to it these tracks were kind of put together from outtakes and and things from over like a 10-year period and so I feel like it does have a little bit of an eclectic sound but somehow to me it all it all really works together you know, there's a lot of different sounds in here, but they, it just works. And, and I think it's the kind of album that you can listen to again and again and, you know, keep finding uh, new things that you like about it. Shall we talk about what the critics said? Please. Upon its release, the critical reception was actually quite positive. Rolling Stone magazine proclaimed, just when we might finally have lost patience, the new record dances, not prances, rocks not jives onto the scene and the rolling stones are back again with a matter-of-fact acceptance of their continued existence and eventual mortality in 1989 rolling stone magazine ranked tattoo you number 34 on their list of the 100 greatest albums of the 1980s in 2003 the album was ranked number 211 on rolling stones list of the 500 greatest albums of all time Editor Jan Wenner called Tattoo You the Stones' most underrated album in a 1995 interview. Blender gave it five stars. And in a contemporary review from December of 2019, I think Pitchfork.com sums it up best. They called Tattoo You a blueprint for how to exist as an aging internationally famous rock band and pitchfork went on to praise the album's second side just as we just did calling it flickeringly transcendent so there you have it but like any great album there's always something that maybe doesn't sit quite right with us uh could be a song could be a moment on the album could be whatever this is what we call of course the nadir Jim, we're going to start with you. Uh, <laughs> is, that yes. not, is that not a good idea? No, I don't know why. I was just, yes. yes. Start uh, Jim, with me. What, 
<laughs> what would be your Nadir uh, for Tattoo? You know, I've thought about this a great deal. And uh, as I always, you know, put a lot of thought into my appearances on these shows. I, let me just, I got to say that it's little TNA. It's little TNA. <laughs> really? And really? Uh, yeah. And I don't know why. I, it's just that I, I kind of like it. I mean, the thing is, I think the album is solid top to bottom. But in terms of just like, I think, staying power, he, he just sounds like he's nodding off like every every 10 <laughs> he probably minutes. Was. He probably yeah. was. There's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. It just, it's just, I mean, it's fine. I think it says something about quality, the quality album. Um, I think also worried about you. This is, I don't know, maybe that too, because. I in re-listening to this album, the one thing I found I started doing was I started humming "You Can't Always Get What You Want" to it. In a complete, that's correct. <laughs> Do I win two hundred points, uh, or what? What is worried about you? You win a Mick Taylor signed guitar. Yeah, I win a. Yeah, no, I don't know. It, so I just think that uh, worried about you maybe. So I'm, I'm switching. I'm switching midstream. I think little TNA is just the vocal. So which is it? Little TNA are worried about you. Uh, it's a tie. Uh, I just worried about you in terms of that. It just sounds kind of like you can't always get what you want. It just sounds, there's something about it that just sounds kind of like a, oh, fuck. Why did you have yeah, a mix, mix falsetto? Yeah. Worried about yeah you. It's, spot on, Jimmy. it's incredible. It's incredible. So I'll, I'll go back to little TNA. I don't want to get worried about you involved in this because oh, my own side. Too, hey, that's some, don't let John pressure you, man. You're, you're, you're a guest on the show. You don't, you don't let him bully you into No, a... no, I'm not. I'm just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to little TNA and I'm just going to say that's the, no, there's little... something about it. It's like, it just doesn't have the, the, uh, the energy and, and uh, quality, I think of the other, of the other song. Now little TNA that's is correct. Keith on vocals, right? That's correct. That's Keith on vocals. Correct. How much do you think that plays into it, Jim? Probably a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing just sounds kind of tepid and, and, I think it is the one thing that sounds like an outtake out of all of the songs on there in terms of musically speaking. Hmm. Uh, the vocals I'm worried about you, just to go back to that, are fucking amazing. I don't, it, so they really are. I'm going to take that, that right over. there, should save it from being the deer, as far as I'm concerned. And no, exactly, exactly. There's too, there's too many interesting things going on there. So, so it's track. You know, four. we'll still play yeah. Worried About You in concerts sometimes, and he could still do the falsetto on that. Bless him. I love it. That's right. But yeah, 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 yeah. So move on. Move on. Chris, let's move on to you. What do you think about the Nadir there? Whew, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Uh, you know, there's not really any track that jumps out at me as as being one that I just can't stand. Um, so you're not you're not uh, torn between two like Jimmy. I'm not Natalie and Brulia torn. Okay. All out of faith here, but um, you know, for me, I. I like blues. I do. I like listening to live blues, but there's a, a, a very strong blues song on this album that I'm just kind of uh -oh. not in the mood for. Black Limousine. Um, uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't me. <laughs> and, and Chris, what's the issue with it? I mean, it... Again, I don't dislike it. To me, it just, uh, I'm just not partial to that as much as some of the other stuff on the album that's a little more complex, maybe. You know, it may just be like, 
I'm not as into the bluesy stuff. Not a terrible song. Now, Mike, are you are you really partial to this song? I, uh, I mean, I th- a week ago I thought it was my favorite track on the album, but that's that's changed. Really? But um, I, I understand what you're saying about the the bluesiness of it. It's to me, it fits like it's almost like just giving a nod to their other stuff. But I could see how someone could think it sort of out of place, you know, if you're if you're nitpicking. But yeah, um, yeah, and again, you know, I, I mean, I, I think it all flows. I think Ron Wood would be pissed to hear this because this is one of the few Stone songs where he actually gets a writing credit. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, you know, if Ron, and I'm sure, I mean, the odds are Ron is listening to the Global Sensation, <laughs> listen closely. Uh, you know, again, I don't think it's a bad song. I just, uh, I don't like it quite as much as some of the others. So, uh, there, there you have it. Ron's Mike, got his so, own podcast to do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, Mike, it's safe to say that Black Limousine is not your Nadir. No, I mean, I, I know this sounds lame, but I really don't have one. Um, and I find that most of their albums have, to me at least, have a lot of filler. And yes. I think this and um, Satanic Majesties, neither of them have filler. I, I like I'll just sit there and listen to the whole album. Um, some of the songs, maybe if you took them out of the album, are weaker. But when you put it all together as a package, it to me it, it just works perfectly. So, in your mind, Mike, there's no Nadir on Tattoo You. No. Wow. Uh, Chris, this is a first, I think. It is? <laughs> yeah. I, Although, I mean, I'm close to agreeing there, I gotta say, because that's a, that's a tough call. Because, like, even though I, I don't like that Keith song, it's entertaining in its own way. Because he sounds like he's passing very... out the fucking song. I mean, <laughs> as rock and roll as you can get. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it is tough every week picking in the deer because we're picking like some of our favorite albums of all time. So, uh, right. Oftentimes right. I think we are, we are kind of nitpicking, but, uh, all right. Well, John, do we, we get- are, and I'm going to piggyback on, on Mike's, uh, Nadir a little bit. I couldn't find a song in this album that I dislike. Uh, you know, there's some that I like more than others, but my Nadir is not actually a song. My Nadir, my weak point of the album, is the goddamn album title and the artwork. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Seriously. Like, this is a group that has had some amazing album titles, right? Let It Bleed, Aftermath, Exile on Main Street, Sticky Fingers. Fuck, even Dirty Work wasn't all that bad of an album title, <laughs> considering it was 1986. <laughs> And then they had these iconic album covers. You know what I'm talking about, like the Exile on Main Street album cover, which was kind of a, a collage of sorts, and then Sticky Fingers with the zipper on the jeans. So how the hell did they come up with the foolish album title, Tattoo You, and even more foolish artwork, particularly the back cover, with, which is Keith Richards just done up with a tattoo all over his face? <laughs> um, you know, I just think it's dumb as shit. What does tattoo you even mean? I know it was 1981, but come on. I think well, that, that they tattoo us with the fucking hits, though. And I think they knew that they were doing that. <laughs> and it was all killer and no filler. And uh, 
I don't know. It's ridiculous. But the thing is, though, like I, I'm going to disagree by very quickly and just say I think it ushers them into the 80s perfectly mm-hmm. with that with that cover art. I don't love it. I don't I don't have the hatred in my heart for it, but I understand where you're coming from. It's garish. Looking at it garish, right and there's nothing even like ironically entertaining about it, unlike, say, the emotional rescue cover art. And music video. <laughs> yeah, as a, that you can't. <laughs> right. How do you top that? Maybe they knew they couldn't top it until '83. Uh, yeah, undercover. Uh, but I, I don't know. For me, you know, I'm with, I'm with Mike. I couldn't find a song yeah. that I really found to be incredibly weak uh, on this album. So that's why I ultimately went with the, the artwork and the title. There you have it. I got to be honest. I like the cover. I don't like the title, but I like the cover. I think the cover's pretty striking. Is that a man or a woman on the cover? I think it's Mick. I think it's a woman. Oh, is it? I think I read it was it was Mick. I always thought it was Keith. <laughs> it God. Oh, yeah. He's doing our back. fucking research. Oh, I could see that being Mick, yeah. Maybe it is. <laughs> no, and I feel like, you know, knowing you, you do, you are very anti-tattoo, I feel like. Do you feel like that plays into this? Yeah, I mean, it might. Sure. You know, uh, I mean, I'm also like anti-salmon as much as I love fish and seafood. But if what? they called the album like <laughs> Salmon You, I might have been okay with it. Like <laughs> something with Tattoo You just doesn't jive with me. I don't know, man. I just I think it's a I think it's a weak weak uh, album title for such a great uh, album. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I was reading it was going to be called Just Tattoo. Much then... better. Mm. Yeah. But at the last minute, I guess he won't admit to it, but it seems that Mick changed the title <laughs> and Richards was, you know, really. I would love to have heard that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, then let's move on to the sleeper. Uh, Chris, why don't you start us off? What would you go with uh, for your sleeper on Tattoo You, an album title that you love? <laughs> no, I don't like the title. I like the artwork. I don't like the, oh, well, the Okay, I'm sorry. I, I got it confused. Okay. It's been a yeah, long time. Yeah. Uh, well, I think there's a ton of good sleepers on here. Um, the one I went with in the end, which, man, I almost consider this for my favorite track is the next to last or penultimate song. No, it's not the next to last. It's the s- second to last song, Heaven. Um, <laughs> which, it's interesting because there's no Keith on this song. It's, uh, you've got Bill Wyman, I think on the guitar, bass and the synth, Mick is playing guitar and you got uh, Watts on the drums. You know where Keith was. Where was Keith? Nodded out in the corner. Probably. <laughs> um, I mean, this song is a little, a little different. I think, especially with the synth, it's got this real kind of dreamy, ethereal feel to it. Um, but I just love it. It's so atmospheric. Um, I think Mick's vocal is really kind of subtle and and interesting. Um, you know, it's. It's not as, I think, layered as or, or complex as some of the other songs on here, but uh, to me, it's one of the best. Great song. Yeah. Uh, you ever see the movie Vanilla Sky? 
I have not, no. Is it in there? Yeah, it's in a very interesting moment. I mean, Vanilla Sky is kind of a mess of a film, but very entertaining to watch. And it, uh, Heaven appears at a very pivotal moment in uh, sort of the tail end of the film. Um, and that's where I first really embraced it. Uh, great, great song, great choice. Uh, Jim, Mike, you want to weigh in on Chris's choice of, uh, of Heaven? Um, well, me and Jim have been talking about this song all week. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a winner. It I think a, it's the best song on best song on the album. Personally, but, uh, all right. Well, now, yeah. Mike, what did uh, Mike? What did you go with as your sleeper uh, for for tattoo? Uh, I would say neighbors. Really, neighbors, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I rewatched the video and it, it got me kind of drew, drew me in. <laughs> well, the video is incredible. Uh, yes, yeah. But going back to heaven for a moment, um, I, I think what I like about it, and I, I don't know if you fellas feel the same way, I, I, it sounds like nothing the Stones ever did prior to that or since. It doesn't really sound like a Rolling Stones song at all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's got a real. I could almost see like Roxy Music doing something like this. Yeah, it has has kind of an Avalon vibe to it. Yeah. 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 And there's there's like so much. You know, they're playing with like the distortion and the production, and uh, it just creates this incredible atmosphere. And you get mixed falsetto going on there. I, I just freaking love it. I'm glad, Chris, that you went with Heaven as your sleeper because I actually was going to go with that. Uh, and up until probably at some point yesterday, Heaven was uh, was my sleeper. But this is actually a good time to segue into what I chose as, as the sleeper. And I got to say, this was difficult because uh, this album's finest moments, I think, are its sleepers. And, you know, let's face it, we've all heard Start Me Up way too many times. And I think it's the deeper cuts here that really make this album so special. Uh, so for this reason, I was torn between Heaven and, and a couple other songs. Uh, but in the end, it came down to one that I think is Vintage Stones, and it's just a killer track all around, but one that you don't hear often. Uh, that's track number three, Slave. That's my sleeper. Mm. Oof. Mm. Yeah. It, it's sexy, aggressive, and, and the last couple of minutes in this song go off into this incredible jam session. It's almost reminiscent of... Uh, can't you hear me knocking off of uh, Sticky mm -hmm. Fingers, which was mm -hmm. a decade earlier, right? Uh, right. I just think Slave's a, a great song, a, a true sleeper. That's an amazing. That's great. great. Yeah. I'm glad you guys agree. It's got that, yeah. that you know, kind of simple guitar hook to it, but it's it's just so damn good. And you're right, the end of it, um, you know, it just sort of it just sort of culminates in this this amazing uh amazing groove to it if if keith was nodded off for for heaven i think he was fully committed <laughs> when they were recording slave i think you can, i think you can hear it uh <laughs> well you know who that might be john yeah yeah this is pete mm -hmm. townsend on the backing vocal that's right really yeah. yeah. And let me tell you, from what I've heard, or at least in uh, Pete Townsend's autobiography, uh, he would have had no problem being Nick's slave. And I think that's a great <laughs> But uh, But well, yeah. Also, when he inducted them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he said that. 
he said it was the first time I ever realized I wanted to fuck the guy. Yeah, I mean, he has been <laughs> loud and clear on this subject for years on the record. Bless him. And there he is on the backing vocal, probably covering for a knotted off key. But, uh, or maybe they're all, you know, in the, in the vocal booth together, whatever. You know, I notice here uh, on my in my records that, that the, uh, the CD version is six minutes and 34 seconds. Really? Because I have the CD and it's four minutes and 55 seconds. Yeah, I'm looking at the remastered CD. That's why you have the remaster. See, I've got the original uh, Rolling Stones Records uh, CD version, which isn't as good. Right, right. I don't know why they decided to make it longer, but I say. So Pete Townsend backing vocals on Slave. I never knew. Billy Preston on the keyboards, too. That sounds about right. Sonny Rollins too, yeah. It's like a yeah. fucking. It's like yeah, it's like Jerry Lewis telephone. All star jam. Yeah. <laughs> and this and probably would have been right around the time uh, Pete Townsend was doing the um, "All the Best Cowboys Have Chinese Eyes" album. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I think that was eighty one or eighty two, right? Yeah. Ian Stewart's there. Mick Taylor. You know, what? not not in the song, not in this specific. Song. That's another matter. Should I? I should uh, probably. Should I do my? Uh, yeah, Jim. It's it's all you now, man. Your sleeper track from Tattoo. Yeah. Oh, Blue. this is tough. Um, I, you know, I I think uh, I I was gonna say I was gonna say slave, but I'm gonna say worried about you, uh, just because he, the vocals on that are really really good. Um, I and I was gonna say heaven, Jim. I'm sorry. Wasn't worried about you up for your nadir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I changed my mind. <laughs> I was trying to be controversial. Yeah. Oh yes, you can. Oh yes. Now who's nodded out in the corner? That's right. No, no, no. I because the thing is, I think heaven. You know, as Mike said, I, I think it's probably a contender for the, one of the best songs in the album. Um, you know, I just think that whole second side is a unified, a unified mm. thing. I you kind of can't fuck with it. Um, but I would say, you know, the first one, and I, I guess I'm saying that in terms of the fact that it grew on me. Uh, I just, you know, I used to just listen to the first two, three songs at max. I never really got into this album until later on. So, um, yeah. I think that was like kind of the hook. It was like, Oh, okay. But, and he does that Jagger, that the emotional rescue falsetto, uh, for that, the first three songs on side two, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. 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 Wow. So worried about you at one point ten minutes ago. Yeah, was your your nadir, and now it's your sleeper moment. Yes, <laughs> that's right. All right. Uh, okay then. Why? Well, not much to say about that now, is there? <laughs> um, I, I think I know the answer to this, but moving on to the zenith, the high point of the album, uh, Mike Slacky. We're going to start with you uh, again. I think I know what your answer is, but let, let's hear it from you. Yeah, it's heaven, and it's um, it. It definitely is its own. Like they they don't have another song that sounds exactly like it, but it touches on. There's this trope they have where um, it, this sort of like haunting etherealness. Like I notice it in "Miss You," "Give Me Shelter," uh, "Waiting on a Friend," um, "Emotional Rescue," like. I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but it just has. They all have this sort of ghost-like quality to them, um, and I think it's actually 
the song that does that the best in, in their whole catalog. Wow. But uh, yeah, it's it's, it's hard really to argue trippy. with that. It, it is. <laughs> and again, as we've all said, it's unlike anything they've done. And I think that's why it stands out. So Heaven is uh, Mike's, uh, Mike's Zenith. I, I'm going to chime in right now with my Zenith. Uh, the simple fact that it's a song that nobody has mentioned yet. So I, I, I want to have the distinction, I guess, of being the first one to mention it. And again, this was a very difficult choice. And at one point, as we had discussed earlier, I was going to go with the entire second side of the album as my Zenith. But after my <laughs> weird Nadir, I didn't think that would be the, uh, the right way to go. So I decided to narrow it down to one song, and it's the one I like the most, it's the one I play the most. And uh, that is side two, track two, or track number eight on the compact disc. My Zenith is the appropriately named Tops. Hmm. About the baseball. It's quite a lackluster response from everybody. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Shit. Sorry, guys. It's not. No, no. It, it's say. just a su it's surprising. It's surprising. Not. Uh... Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wow. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, you know, you get what you give, like, uh, in the radical sense, John. I absolutely love this song. And it's actually, it's in my top, like probably my top 10 favorite Stone song of all time. Uh, I think mixed vocals are fantastic, particularly that falsetto. Uh, I love the guitar riff, which was actually created by Mick Taylor when he was still in the band. Uh, the song dates back to 1972. It's from the Goat's Head Soup Sessions. Uh, I, it's my favorite song on the album, hands down. As great as every song on the album is, I think this one's my absolute favorite. Uh, if you have time, go on YouTube, check out the original demo from 1972. It's it's pretty outstanding. Oh yeah, oh yeah, outstanding. It's a very yeah, sexy it's a, song. It is a sexy song, absolutely. Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I was just oh, now you guys are warming up to it. <laughs> I was breaking your balls. Just breaking balls. Uh, what well, was that in mind then, uh, Jim? What's if what's I may, if I may, Please. well, you know, it's funny. I, I went through a lot of the same deliberations you did. I, I was definitely gonna say side two, but the more we've been talking, the more I'm kind of like raising the stakes, uh, in terms of my, you know, of my, my love for the songs. I love Hang Fire, I love Tops, I love Heaven, obviously. Uh, but you know what, in terms of the whole package, uh, I'm going to say it's waiting on a friend because yeah. it's got their best, well, their second best uh, music video. First would probably be Undercover of the Night. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but it's just such a great video. I love the song. Whenever I'm in New York City, you sort of like think about it. Uh, it's like one of those, it's just a good, I don't know. I just, it's, um, and it was always on MTV as well. Yeah. So, uh, but and, and also they just it look it's I, I love the song, uh, lyrically and you know I think his vocals all over the album are really fantastic, which, um, I guess apparently were done in a closet. Is that uh, right? Something like that. I, I yeah. Uh, um. But yeah, it, that's so, so. So yeah, I think waiting on a friend is is my zenith. Just because, and it closes the album and like, what a fantastic closer as well. It's a hell of a song. So uh, so that's my that's my take on that. We've mentioned, and it's probably the only album on the song that's not about sex, right? It's <laughs> it's about like a real platonic 
a genuine platonic friendship. After you've had sex with someone, you just you want to hang out. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Smoke a cigarette, play some pool, yeah. And that, that's a couple songs we mentioned now, Slave uh, and this one, where I think uh, Sonny Rollins just crushes mm-hmm. some sax solos on this, on this album. Absolutely. I, was I always thought it was Bobby Clarence Keys. Clements. It's weird. Yeah, I thought it was Bobby Keys. Oh, okay. But Sonny Rollins, that, and that I didn't know right, up until a few days ago, actually. Yeah, yeah me yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. But Waiting on a Friend's an outstanding, outstanding song. Classic. Uh, Chris, what about you? Such What'd a you good go with call. Give me the last word here. Yeah, I, I mean, I considered, I don't know, probably maybe four different songs for maybe even like five songs for the best one. I, I feel like this album is so well, you know, it's so deep um, in terms of the uh, number of good songs on it. In the end though, uh, I went with the next to last song, No Use in Crying. Um, mm. I think this is kind of a, a classic slower stone song, simple, but really powerful. Um, you know, some of the lyrics are, <laughs> it's, it's kind of an angry song, I think. Um, standing on the balcony, looking way out towards the sea. If you see your ship come a-sailing, it's not me, it's not me. Stay away from me. Ain't no use in crying. Um, yeah, I love the, uh, I, I think it's Ronnie and Keith doing the backing vocals, which I think really make the song, um, you know, which take it up to 11, if you will. Um, yeah, I, I love it. What do you guys think of it? I'm a fan. Uh, yeah. I think we all agree on side two. Yeah. It's also, it should be said, uh, much like your Nadir, Chris, uh, this, wait, wait you're, who, who chose, uh, yeah, your Nadir, Chris, was Black Limousine. Yeah. Um, no Use in Crying is also one of the few albums, uh, one of the few songs, rather, that's credited to Ron Wood, besides being credited to Jagger and Richards. Um, so you're back in Ronnie's good graces, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ron's real here right. with me, you know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. So we got through our picks. That was something else, huh? Um, Jim. How well do you feel the album captures the zeitgeist of uh, of the early 1980s? Well, I think first, as I was saying, in terms of uh, the artwork, I think it's kind of a you know in comparison to that. Uh, well, actually, they ushered in the 80s with emotional rescue, so it was already like kind of be ridiculous, but they took it up a notch. Um, I think it's you know kind of synonymous with that era in terms of the visual. However, absolutely. So visually speaking, uh, despite your hatred of it, uh, and that's fine. Uh, I just think it, I think that captured visually captures it. However, the music, I'm going to point to a quote, and I'm sure you've already thought about this, but uh, from some 95 Rolling Stone interview, uh, Mick said, uh, I think this in regards to that, to tattoo you, I think it's excellent that the things that I usually like all the things I usually like, it doesn't have, it doesn't have any unity of purpose or place or time. And in terms of the music, if you listen to it, 
you know, apart from the videos and apart from, you know, the artwork, I think it does in terms of Stones albums, it could be stuff, well, which it is, stuff from the 70s. So I think it's kind of all over the place. And so I'm not sure if it does sound wise, um, but I think visually and in terms of like what they look like and what they look like on stage, the tour after it, the movie with Hal Ashby, yeah. you know, like that's of the 80s, absolutely. Um, but I think the music mm-hmm. itself is actually a little bit more, you know, it could have been from 10 years earlier. It could have been from, no, it could have been from 10 years earlier, not yeah, 10 years later. Some of it was, right? I mean, because- Yeah, no, exactly. No, and so it's a fit there, but that I think that also says why why he says that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you guys agree, but- I do. In fact, I'm looking at my notes. I'm going I'm to chime in here, Jimmy. Uh, and, and my notes in regard to the zeitgeist say the same thing. I don't think the music captures the zeitgeist all that well. Um, unlike maybe their late 60s, early 70s work. But I don't think that the Stones were hell-bent on defining the zeitgeist in 1981 musically. But it was the music videos that sure as hell did it. You know, particularly, mm-hmm. I think we all have the the beginning of the start me up video ingrained in our minds because uh, we've seen it so many damn times and mick is in that purple right it's purple am i right workout attire um and he's yes. prancing around doing the most ridiculous aerobics yeah um, <laughs> it's absurd and then you've got the the gritty streets of early 1980s new york city and waiting on a friend and mick and keith walk to like some shithole dive bar where Ron Wood, Bill Wyman, and Charlie Watts just happen to be hanging out waiting for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, then, and then there's that disturbing neighbors video, yeah. uh, which, oh, yeah. we, which we spoke of earlier. And isn't there a guy with like a bloody dagger or saw? Yes. Uh, he's, he's chopped up, uh, bo- he's putting body parts into his uh, briefcase. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a rear window takeoff, right? It's like Alfred. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. yeah. And that is bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> so in that respect, uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm with you, Jim. I think, uh, you know, the music videos capture the zeitgeist, maybe not so much the music, but the whole visual aesthetic for sure. Uh, Mike, what about you? Uh, yeah, um, I think I kind of agree with that. It's it's the visuals that do it. And it's like, I, it's probably... Uh, waiting on the friend video but to me it's a very new york album and it like it came out the same year as the nighthawks film and it has that like gritty new york city vibe to it uh, and i yeah i just i just like it a lot yeah chris what about you yeah i don't have too much to add i mean i think that i think that hits the nail on the head i don't think musically you know like we said they these songs span like a decade uh, you know, in terms of when they were first uh, put together. So uh, I think musically it's a little too scattered to be of the zeitgeist. And I, I don't think they were really trying to, to do that. But yeah, the videos, um, if I could maybe segue into the uh, the personal reflection, Please. pop culture reflection. Yeah, why don't you start us off with that? Uh, I, I, I was just going to mention, you know, you already kind of did it, but the videos, I mean, they are so... They are so 1981. Um, <laughs> I mean, the Start Me Up video, yeah, it's emblazoned in all of our brains. Um, the outfits, you know, he, I think that shirt he's wearing is uh, purple. I think it's like a sleeveless tee. Um, yeah. 
and they're just. <laughs> and like, doesn't he start off like with his his hands on his feet at one point at, at the very beginning of the video? Am I just imagining this? Does he? <laughs> I don't know if he does. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember. Um, but they are. They're so. I mean, the whole look and feel to those videos is just. I mean, it just brings me back to. Uh, to like some of my first pop culture memories, I think. Um, and just the look, you know, the, this, you know, just that skinny rock star look from, from the late seventies, <laughs> early eighties. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, it just captures it so well. It really does. Mike, what about you? Any uh, memories associated with the album, any of the songs, any pop culture references that spring to mind? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like I was saying, it just, it's really a New York album to me, even though I don't, I, I don't, I'm not even sure if anything was recorded in New York, but um, it, it just has this New York vibe to it for me. And I mean, um, I, I do recall the tour being huge and I don't know if it was MTV or just, just the regular tri-state news, but I remember seeing uh, they, I, I don't know where they played one of the stadiums, I guess, in the city. And it was just, I was blown away by, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. That was the still life tour, uh, which I think was like from what, 82 and 83, I think. Okay. And that was the last tour they would do for like five or six years at least. Right. Right. Jim, how about you? Any uh, memories associated with the album? Any pop culture references? Well, I think we've all talked about the videos, and I think that's mainly that's mainly it. Because I I would I would imagine for me, aside from hearing stuff on the radio as a very small child, like this was my entry point to the Rolling Stones, the you know the old men on the television, uh, in the <laughs> in the purple. Um, but yeah, I, I mean it's just just really like the entry point to it. Uh, and I think that they mix the album, Mike. In New York, at Electric Ladyland, okay. well, Hit it. Factory, <laughs> Power Station, yeah, um, and so yeah, it definitely reminds me of of that that early '80s, but but flavor in terms of the videos, but the music, I just feel like I've come to appreciate it more. Um, you know, the songs that aren't "Start Me Up," basically. Uh, so, so yeah, but 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 the videos, I mean, they're burned in my brain. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to stray a little bit uh, away from the videos. And I'm going to go with a movie reference, actually, um, for mine. And one of my favorite films from the last 10 to 15 years is uh, the film Adventureland. I don't know if you guys ever saw it with Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart and Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's set during the summer of 1987. It follows a young man who graduates college can't find work that summer and has to work at this depressed, almost abandoned old amusement park in Pittsburgh. It's, it's an amazing coming of age story. Anyway, the, the soundtrack is killer. And there's this amazing moment in the film when the local vixen, a, a girl by the name of Lisa P shows up at, uh, at Adventureland for the first time that summer. And she's, you know, your typical hot 1980s chick. She's got the long, <laughs> flowing hair, tight, high-waisted acid wash jeans, uh, big earrings, lots of makeup. As she makes her first appearance, 
it's done in slow motion and, and she is just absolutely beautiful. I, I don't know the actress's name who played her, but absolutely gorgeous. And the entire amusement park just drops what they're doing and watches her entrance. While this is happening, uh, everything goes to slow motion. You, you hear the opening chords of Tops. And uh, <laughs> mixed vocals chime in just at the right moment. It's just such a sexy, cinematic moment. And uh, I don't know, anyone who ever had a summer crush when they were younger or maybe some girl you worked with at that summer job you absolutely hated, you never saw her again, anyone who's been through that can relate to this. And um, it's a great film, and it's worth it, if for nothing else, just to see that incredible moment. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is check it out. I forgot about that. Um, I remember Great. Lisa P, but I uh, I forgot that that was the song. I mean, Lisa P is really hot. Oh, she's fine. Yeah. She also shakes her ass to uh, I think Falco's <laughs> "Rock Me Amadeus" in the in the movie as well, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's worth checking out. The the film is excellent. All right, now now is the million dollar question, and. Uh, since Mike, you're the you're the new new kid in town uh, on the podcast, we're going to start with you. Is Tattoo You a perfect album? I was thinking about this today, and I'm going to have to go with yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it is. I can't. I can't. I can't remove the song from it. Um, it holds together as one piece of uh one piece of music even though like we've said it's it's basically a frankenstein of an album but um <laughs> for sure yeah um it's it blows my mind that that's the case um because it sounds very figured out and uh intentional so uh i'd say yeah I'm going to agree with Mike. Uh, I'm going to say this is a perfect album, even if there are one or two songs that maybe I'm not all that crazy about. To think that the Stones made an album of this caliber entirely out of leftovers, rejected material, yeah. I, I think it speaks volumes to their talent, skills, and to the prolific songwriting partnership that is Jagger and Richard. And mm -hmm. yeah, we, we spoke several times now about the second side. And I think it supports the argument that the Stones' back catalog, uh, and in particular the deep cuts within that back catalog, is unrivaled at times. So, uh, for me, this is a this is a perfect album. Jim, what do you think? I mean, this is nothing I can say that hasn't been said already. I, I think it is. It's consistent uh, in ways that a lot of their albums aren't, especially the ones I would say since you know the mid seventies. So. Yeah, I, I think without question, it is a perfect album, front to back. Three for three. Yeah. Chris, what about you? <laughs> you were given, you get the last word, man. Yeah, I didn't expect that I would come out of, of uh, you know, digging into this over the last few weeks, thinking that it was perfect. But, but I do. I mean, the more I listen to it, I, I, I would just put it on repeatedly and the 44 minutes or whatever would just blow by and I wouldn't even think of skipping a song, you know, even I, you know, my nadir, uh, you know, not my favorite, but um, I mean, that's, that's how, how consistently good it is. 
um, that you can just listen to it over and over again. And it feels like each time you, you get a little something maybe different out of it. Um, so yeah, four for four. It's that good. Yeah. I'm going to put you all on the spot here and um, going to throw one other question out at all of you. And Jim, you had touched upon this a little bit before. Uh, yeah. So maybe you want to start with this. Sure. Is this the last great Rolling Stones album? Oh, I, again, I think without question, it's the last great Rolling Stones album. I mean, there's just, I was looking, I looked, I, I, you know, I reviewed the discography. Uh, and as I said, I don't think you see consistent, like, I love It's Only Rock and Roll for my own personal reasons. Great, great uh, I don't think it's a perfect album, although Fingerprint File might be a perfect song. That is um, one of their one of their greatest. But but anyway, yes, I, I think I think it is. It's the last great one. I mean, they've had they had good songs, not the Harlem Shuffle, but they had good songs. Uh, you know, one hit to the body. Yeah, hey, um, definitely. So, but but that's about it. You know, this this is like as a unified piece of work. I mean, they weren't they hadn't they were they they had really solid songs, but it wasn't as this cohesive for. I don't know. Goat said soup, exile on Main Street. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. So. Mike, what do you think? Uh, yeah, it is. It's their final great classic album, and um, it's like they just blew their load really big, you know. <laughs> and, um, or used an old load, actually. Well, true, <laughs> true. <laughs> But I mean, I, I feel like after this, they just became a touring band. Yeah. Chris, what about yeah. you? Yeah, I agree. There's there's nuggets of brilliance here and there, certainly over the next, you know, how many ever years. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is legitimately a great album from start to finish. It's more than, you know, just a song that has some, some high point, uh, an album that has some high points. So, yeah. What do you think, John? See, I'm going to stray a little bit here. And I think this is the last exceptional Rolling Stones album. Um, and I think it's the last one that probably wasn't motivated largely by money. Uh, because, Mike, you said they, they really became a touring band uh, the last probably 30 years, right? Yeah, and I put think out that, a product every so often. Right, they put out that product to justify going out on a, a multi-million dollar grossing tour um but i think they've had some great albums since tattoo you nothing that's quite on the same level but i think that undercover the successor to tattoo you actually holds up quite well and 1994's uh voodoo lounge has some great moments but tattoo you is the last rolling stones album that is outstanding start to finish but i do think they've had a couple great albums since then that's just my opinion i just want to counter very quickly i know we're running out of time that album was actually specifically put together to satisfy product for the tour i don't know if we touched on this yes so the hilarious part about and, and i think that goes back to that quote about having no time or place because because mick knew that they had the hits to put it together or at least a framework but uh it was put together for product. I'm not trying to disappoint you, John. I'm just <laughs> saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I think that, that it was definitely on some. Uh, we gotta. We gotta get this out for the record company. 
but it worked. And, oh my God. Well, it's incredible. Rescue. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I think that's, that's one of the more amazing things about it too. Um, but it's, that's another version of what you said, you know, that they could make an album of this caliber out of. One uh, final question in our final moment together during season two. Uh, and I'm going to pose the first question uh, here to, to Jim and Mike. Uh, will you fellas be back during season three? Absolutely. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. And <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes, Fantastic. I am. I'll be back. I'll be back. The Hanson episode or the Chris Cross episode? Oh, wow. Both. <laughs> Both. Chris, Chris Cross or Christopher Cross? That's what we need to decide, Chris. Oh, wow. Well, I guess so. Yeah. But no. <laughs> you should do, we should do both. Uh, but no, I'm excited to come back. Excited to come back for sure in the third season. Oh, we'd love and, to have you guys back. And Chris, I think it's safe to say that you plan on being back. I am contractually obligated. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> there will be uh, serious repercussions legally to me through John if I don't continue. So, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, this concludes season two of Listen Closely with John and Chris. And I thank everyone out there that's been listening. I thank you, Jim, and you, Mike for bringing so much to this episode and to everyone out there listening, go listen to Tattoo You. Uh, listen to it on repeat. You will not be disappointed. And we will be back in late February with a brand new season. Chris, you excited for the off season? I think it'll be good. Get a little rest in there, recharge. Yeah, yeah. All right, fantastic. Congratulations, Final guys, thoughts? on another yeah, great season. Yeah. Thank you so much, fellas. Be well. We'll see you all in late February. Listen Closely with John and Chris is executive produced by John DiBenedictus. Written by Chris Charmiello and John DiBenedictus. Sound engineering and editing, Chris Charmiello. Technical consultant, Ivo Kulishko. Management, Kyle A. Mulvey and Associates. Hair and Makeup, Salon Destronzo. Listen Closely with John and Chris is produced using the Anchor podcasting platform.